scripture that can be found on the inside of the bulletin. This is Luke 12, 22 through 34, a seminal passage of the Christian faith. Luke 12, 22 through 34. And he said to his disciples, therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The word of the Lord. I have a question for you today. Actually, two questions. And the first question is this. Are you an anxious person? Are you one of those folks that tends to be anxious? A fearful person, maybe it might say, uh, I might call it. A person who has anxiety about life. Now, to be sure, there's anxiousness sometimes over our children, uh, you know, are out or something like that. But I'm talking about a deep-seated anxiety of the world. It's always a sense that something is going to go wrong. Something is right around the corner or that I can't fully enjoy life because there's this nagging sense that it's going to slip away. Something is going to go wrong. Not everything is in its proper place. Indeed, when I get everything in its proper place, there's a wondering if everything's going to stay in its proper place. The consequences of this, if you are an anxious person, is that you rarely are ever able to have any rest in life. It's difficult to enjoy things because maybe 90% of you are enjoying it, but the other 10% is distracted, and that 10% is almost like the yeast that works through the dough. There's consequences for living an anxious life, a fearful life. And if the statistics are right, we live in an anxious world, in a fear-filled world. Indeed, 75 to 95% of all the ailments and illnesses that we experience are due to anxiety and fear. The world is an anxious place. And it's very easy to lead an anxious life. So are you an anxious person? Well, this brings me to my second question. 
Are you a satisfied person? Are you a contented person, a fulfilled person? What do those two uh, statements or questions have to do with each other? I bring them both up because I believe that they are interrelated. You know, we would think that on the opposite side of the spectrum, you're either anxious or peaceful. But I want to suggest to you that on the opposite end of the spectrum from anxious is satisfied. It's peaceful. It's contented. Not simply talking about temperament. But no, I'm talking about a deep sense of fulfillment and satisfaction that takes the place of anxiety. I bring up these things because one of the reasons that Jesus came, maybe the reason, is so that we would not lead anxious lives. I mean, look at this passage alone. In verse 22, he tells us to not be anxious. In verse 29, don't keep worrying. In verse 32, don't be afraid. Indeed, multiple times throughout the scripture, Jesus tells us to not be anxious and goes on to list the reason why. So Jesus is communicating to us, if we take him at his word, that he came to take away worry from our life. He came to give us an anxiety-free life. It is possible to have a worry-free life here. Now, if you go and listen to the solutions of the world, the best thing you can come up with is stress management. It's all about how do we manage our stress, whether through medication or some other thing. How do we allay our stress? But it's never a question of how do we eliminate our anxiety. But this is the message of the gospel. Jesus is saying, I can eliminate worry in your life. John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full. Now, I want to make it uh, uh, for you to understand this. The first is, is Jesus saying that we won't have problems in life? No, he never says that. He's not saying we can have a problem-free life. Rather, he's saying that I can give you an anxiety-free life in the midst of your problems. I want to make a small caveat. There are, to be sure, sometimes physiological reasons that we deal with anxiety. And you do need to take a look at those and work through those. But by and large, the overwhelming reason we have anxiety in life is because we are not going to Jesus Christ to deal with it. And so the question I want to address today is this. How can we live worry-free lives? The answer is finding our satisfaction in the right thing. Finding our pleasure and our fulfillment in God, not in things, is how we live an anxiety-free life. The bottom line of my sermon is simply this. When you pursue making God your pleasure, then you will have inexhaustible riches and a life free of anxiety. Well, it sounds simple. It is, but it's not necessarily easy. How do we live this life, Carlos? Well, I think there are three things that God calls us to in how we are to live this life. Number one, God calls us to a higher provision. He calls us to a higher provider. To be sure, we have to have needs met. 
Well, God calls us to a higher provider. Number two, God calls us to a higher purpose. Why are we here? What has God called us to do and live? That is what we must live in. Number three, God calls us to a higher pleasure. The truth of the matter is we're simply settling for things that are less than God has called us to for pleasure. God calls us to a higher provider, a higher purpose, a higher pleasure. Because when you decide to make God your treasure, then you will have inexhaustible riches. Let's look at number one. God calls us to a higher provision. Verse 22, Jesus said, and he said to his disciples, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Now whenever you see the word therefore in scripture, you have to take a look at what happened before so that there can be a therefore. If you remember last week, I was telling the story how Jesus was speaking about the kingdom of God and this man blurts out and he says, teacher, tell my brother to divide my inheritance with me. He has a worldly problem. He wants Jesus to provide a solution to his worldly problem. In essence, that he's not, he doesn't feel like he's getting enough money from the inheritance or any money for that matter. Jesus goes on to tell the parable, remember, of the guy who just lucked out and had an unbelievable harvest, and he says, I'm going to store up everything, and I'm going to take life easy. And he's so focused on this world and being contented in it. God calls him, you fool. Don't you realize this very night your life will be demanded, and who will get all these things you've stored up for yourself? And so it shall be with anyone who is not rich towards God. See, what the message of the parable was, was essentially trust God with your life and give your possessions to him. Now, we need to understand something about this world that they lived in. It was a very uncertain world. Okay, first of all, they were an occupied people. The Romans were in charge. The Romans say, jump, you say, how high? Okay, it was an agrarian society. A lot of people, they made their wages that day and then they went and they bought the food that they were going to eat with that night so they could survive. It's a very uncertain world. They don't necessarily have a whole lot of cushion. And so when they hear the story of this man who is blessed, it makes perfect sense to store up everything. It's prudent. But Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Be rich towards God. Don't be anxious about your life what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. This word anxious, you could translate it fixate or worry or be concerned for, if you will. And I'm sure these people are asking the question, but Jesus, if we don't fixate on these things, if we don't worry about them, who will? And God says, I will. God says, I will be the one who will care for you. I will be the one who will make sure that you have enough to eat and have clothes to wear and that your needs are met. That as you're rich toward me, as you give me your stuff, also give me the responsibility of providing for you. I am going to take care of you. And so Jesus goes on. 
In other words, there is a higher provider, a higher provision for you than simply you. He gives an illustration in verse 24. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So he's saying, think about the birds, guys. They have zero foresight. How often do they think about tomorrow? They never think about tomorrow. They have no tools. They have no opposable thumbs. Poor ravens. Even if they wanted to sow, they couldn't sow. You know what you do. You sow, you plan ahead, and then you till, you take care of, and then you harvest. There's no way the ravens could do that even if they wanted to. But if you were to question a robin or a raven and ask them, are you worried? They would look at you and go, what the heck does worry mean? We don't even know what you're talking about. Well, how do you know that you're going to get fed? God's going to take care of us. How do you know that? He just is. Well, how can you be sure? Well, he did yesterday and the day before and the day before that. You know, wouldn't it be nice to live like that? To live like a raven? I love this verse, uh, Psalm 104, 27, where it talks about the whole world and all the animals. They all look to you to give them their food in due season. And when you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are filled with good things. When you send forth your spirit, they are created and you renew the face of the ground. The whole world is managed that way. Look around, just even look out the window at all of the things of how God manages them. And does not Jesus then say, of how much more value are you than birds? Indeed, just a couple of verses before, he said, aren't five sparrows sold for two pennies? And you're so much more valuable than that. Indeed, every single hair of the hundred thousand hairs on your head are numbered. Consider the lilies, Jesus goes on, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Now Solomon was the richest man that ever lived. The Bible doesn't speak about Solomon's clothes, but if you just listen to his, uh, his riches, if you just look at the palace that he lived in, and the ridiculous amounts of gold and ivory and silver and the lavish lifestyle that he had, there was no more beautiful things that anyone could wear than Solomon but Jesus said consider the lilies take a look at them they don't toil or spin there's no store for lilies to go to get dressed unless of course they go to the lily pulitzer store lily pulitzer store that's cheap humor. Some of the guys are going, what? What are you talking about? Lily Pulitzer is a, like a child's clothes. Oh, forget it. Okay. Have you ever looked at a flower in a microscope? I think we have a, a picture here of some flowers in a microscope. This is the, the, uh, a cross-section of the stem of a rose. Now, if you've looked at clothing under a microscope, it's, it's beautiful to be sure, but it's nothing like that. 
unbelievable complexity and richness that goes into this beautiful rose. How much work is the rose doing? Let's interview the rose. It's God caring for them. I think we have one more here. Do we have one more? This is an orchid. Microscopic picture of an orchid. It's magnificent. And you know what? If we went even deeper than that, there would be an even deeper level of complexity. Consider the lilies, Redeemer. They don't labor or toil or spin. Yet God clothes them like this. I urge you at some point to go out to Back Bay National Park, which is down there by Sandridge, and just go into it and look around and be taken away by the absolute beauty that no one ever sees. This is simply for God's glory. And God is saying, how much more will he clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. How much more? In other words, God is saying, you're wasting your energy. You're putting all of your energy into these things. And you're wasting it. And which of you, Jesus says, by being anxious can add a single hour to your life? In other words, whether you want to admit it or not, your life is in my hands. I care for you. So trust me. Stop focusing on the things. Now, if you ever take a look at birds, are they ever just sort of like laying around, hanging out, like sunbathing? No. They're occupied. But they're not preoccupied. See the difference? They're occupied with what God's calling them to do, but they're not worried. They're not anxious. Because worry chokes us. That's literally what the word worry means, by the way, in the old German. To choke you. It stops you. It makes you unproductive. And you lose focus on what life is all about. I don't know if you've ever gone up on uh, Afton Mountain, which is past Charlottesville, when you're on the way to Stanton. Afton Mountain is uh, up there in the Blue Ridge Mountains. And it's the site, when, when we went to school at UVA, you know, when there would be a, a fog. Like there would sometimes be these ridiculous car pileups on Afton Mountain. Remember, this was like a 60-car pileup because they couldn't see each other. And so they would literally just run into each other again and again and again. Well, here's the very interesting thing about fog. If you take a dense fog, say seven, in fact, this is in the Bureau of Standards and Measures. This is where I got this through someone else. Seven city blocks of dense fog. Okay, that's about 700,000 square feet. 100 feet deep, seven square blocks. That's about 70 million square feet. What makes up that dense fog is one glass of water divided into 60,000 million drops. One glass of water. That's like worry. It chokes us. It limits us from living Something so small and yet it grinds us to a halt. But it seems overwhelming. The reality, my friends, is this life is complicated. And we were not designed to take care of ourselves. We were designed to trust God. Because to God to take care of us is nothing. And so I have to ask you the question, where is your provision? Do you live like the raven and like the lily? 
Or are you so choked by having to manage your life so preoccupied beyond being occupied that you're anxious and not really satisfied with life? What we must do, my friends, is reassign our responsibility. Placing the very basic things of our life, food and clothing in God's hands. To experience the life that God has for you, you have to first place your stuff in God's hands. Because you either have your stuff or your stuff has you. You have to place your job in God's hands. You have to place your future in God's hands. What could be? What will happen? Because we can't see it. We don't know what is in the future. But we do know who is there. So give provision of your life to a higher provider. So you can take your eyes off of your stuff and you can watch him. Because when you decide to make God your treasure, it's only then you will have inexhaustible riches, which includes a worry-free life. Well, let's go on to my second point. God has called us to live with a higher provider because for us, he has a higher purpose. Why does God want us to take our eyes off of all of these things? Verse 23, for life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. In other, words, there's, in other words, there's more to life than simply being fed and simply being clothed, simply being sheltered, simply having enough food. There's something deeper to life than that. Now, to the world, that's not true. The world says all there is to life is health and beauty, security and safety. Because to the world, we are simply animals. We are eating machines. And the goal is to stockpile. If you have enough, well, you could always do with a little more. I mean, all a house is ultimately is clothing taken to the next degree. Clothing is shelter. So let's have a little bit more shelter. But what we need is simply that. But it never seems to be enough. More and more, more ornate, more beautiful, you know, we live in the most opulent society of all the societies in the world and probably in all of history. And yet, for some reason, we're more worried than all the other societies and cultures in history. Why is that? Because the world confuses existing with living. But Jesus' life is more than that. Instead, verse 31 Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. See, there's the instead. Our higher, our higher purpose is to seek his kingdom. See, there are two kingdoms in the world. There's the kingdom of the world, the kingdom of man, and there's the kingdom of God. There's our kingdom, and there's God's kingdom. What's the difference? Well, in our kingdom, we're the king. And in our kingdom, making sure that we are taken care of and provided and fed for is the ultimate purpose of that kingdom. But in God's kingdom, there's a different king. His name is Jesus Christ. This kingdom has been inaugurated and has come into the world when Christ came. 
and is progressing and continuing on and will meet its fulfillment when Jesus Christ comes for the last time. This kingdom is focused upon Christ and it's focused upon the things that are important to Christ. And it lives by a different set of rules than our kingdom. The kingdom of the world is all about power and beauty. The kingdom of Christ is all about love and service. It's about giving your life away. It's about honoring another. You see, this new kingdom is the one that we were made for. For it says to instead seek his kingdom. All of the passion and the focus that we have on building up our kingdom and making it impenetrable, Jesus is saying instead focus on building up his kingdom, on honoring and worshiping him as king. Indeed, Matthew 6.33, the companion parallel passage says to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. What does that his righteousness mean? It means that there is a new righteousness that has come. There's a new righteousness that has come into the world in which man can be made right by having faith in Jesus Christ. It's the gospel the means by which people enter into the kingdom. See, this kingdom is like this fog in reverse, if you will. Not by something so inconsequential, but by something so consequential. The king of the universe. And it's expanding in the hearts of men as they hear the message of the glory and beauty of Jesus Christ. And the opportunity of being made right with him through the righteousness of Christ what he's saying is that as you seek his kingdom and his righteousness is to go and make him famous by telling people who he is and what he has done we call this the great commission or the great co-mission you see God has given you a new mission a co-mission with him to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that God has commanded us. See, the reason we have, cannot be preoccupied is because we need to be preoccupied with God's kingdom. So you may have the same occupation, whatever it is that God has for you, but God is saying you have a higher preoccupation to worship Christ. Why is God calling us to do this? You see, my friends, we were made for him. We are the portrait of another. I am not the end goal. I'm not an eating machine. There's a misery that comes from living my life for myself. And all that is wrong with the world is because we chose ourselves. And as Romans says, exchange the glory of God for images resembling mortal man. We're slaves to things because we worship the wrong thing. Well, I'm not a slave to anything. Friend, you're lying to yourself. We're all slaves of something. Either things or our true master, Jesus Christ. We will only find peace when we're living in our design. It's his kingdom and he as the king which is the higher purpose of our life.
I want to take you to one of my favorite places where I often hang out, the Island of Misfit Toys. You remember, of course, the Island of Misfit Toys, don't you? It's all the toys go, where all the toys go that were designed wrong, right? We've got the polka-dotted elephant. Who's ever heard of a polka-dotted elephant? And a choo-choo train that has square wheels. What kind of kid wants that? And we've got the plane that has something wrong with it that I don't have a clue what it is. <laughs> uh, go to the next slide, please. Remember the cowboy who rides an ostrich? And then, of course, we have the next slide, the Charlie in the box. Talk about a design flaw, Charlie in the box. I don't know if you can go back to two slides, actually. Uh, 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 Molly. Many people have asked the question, what's wrong with Molly? And it took decades before uh, Arthur Rankin of Rankin-Bass finally said that Molly struggles with self-esteem issues. <laughs> Molly does not believe that she is lovable. And who wants a doll that doesn't think that she's lovable? It's the island of misfit toys. We, my friends, on planet Earth are on the island of misfit toys. If we are living for any lower purpose than worshiping Christ and preoccupied with spreading the message that Christ has come and redeemed the world. And so you and I must recognize that we were made for a higher purpose. So what's your focus on? Play the tape during the week. Is it about my kingdom? Is it about my kingship? Maybe it's someone else. Maybe it's your spouse's kingdom. Your kid's kingdom. Their kingship. But you were made for a higher purpose. Our focus is to be placed on him as our king. His interests, what he desires, to be sure we're occupied with the things of this world. But our preoccupation is with his kingdom. My heart is his. My stuff is his. As I'm parenting my family, my preoccupation is him being glorified. As I'm working my job, my preoccupation is him being worshipped. And an opportunity for him to be made famous. Whether I'm a butcher or a baker or a software engineer. Whether it's my time and how I spend my money. It's a higher purpose. It's what you were made for. And until you live in it, you will not find satisfaction. Instead, you will find anxiety. Because it's one or the other. It's your stuff, your kingdom, or his. God calls you to a higher purpose. This brings me to my final point. He calls us to a higher pleasure. Jesus finishes with this point, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good will, pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heavens that does not fail. Where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I love verse 32. Fear not, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. If he gives us the kingdom, 
This is not something we're working to obtain. No, rather it is an inheritance that is waiting for us. That's what the praying the scripture was all about. So what is this really all about? It's all about your heart and its location. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Christianity at its core has always been about relationship. That's why he says to fear not. For it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. One thing I ask, says David, this is what I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord. And to seek him in his temple. Let not the wise man, says Jeremiah through Jeremiah, boast in his wisdom or the strong man boast in his strength or the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. We were made to be in relationship with God, to gaze upon the most beautiful of all things, to get up close like the microscope God says, come forth, come near. I want you to see me in all of my glory. See, that's what this is all about. It's not about doing God's work, the simple you know, purpose of going out there. It's about the glory of the Lord being manifest in the world and us seeing him face to face. The higher pleasure of being in his presence, of experiencing his holiness, the beauty of his love manifest on the cross, the purity of his thought, the glory, the radiance of him. Remember as a kid going to the Smithsonian Natural History Museum, you know, and you go and they parade you by the Hope Diamond. And you get a chance to go and, you know, not so close, right? They won't let you touch it. But they shine the light on it. And you see the unbelievable beauty of this blue diamond and all of its facets. It's, for a second, just otherworldly. God has called us to a higher pleasure. Not to focus on our house. Not to focus on what we're going to eat and I don't care how good it is or how beautiful your clothes are. Not even to focus on the fact that God's kingdom is spreading. But to see God and His beauty. To know Him. This is the pleasure that God has called you to. And He won't be satisfied until you have anything less. So why would you? Friends, God is calling us to himself. So we cannot be preoccupied with anything less. He's given us a higher provision. So turn your life over to him. Does it mean that you have to sell some of your stuff because it's got a hold on you? It might. Do it. God is calling you to give him your stuff, whether he tells you to sell it or not. 
God is calling you to a higher purpose, to be about your father's business. And God is ultimately calling you to a higher pleasure. I want your heart to be with me. I want you to come really near. To behold my beauty. To see me in my fullness. God will settle for nothing less than making us making him our treasure. And when you decide to take the step to make God your treasure, then will you have inexhaustible riches. Don't go simply to God for stuff. Take a walk. Meditate on him. On his beauty, on his richness. Make pursuing knowing him your heart's desire. What's it going to be? Anxiety and fear? Or satisfaction and fulfillment? That's a layup. It's the beauty and the call of the gospel. Don't settle for anything else than the glory of God. Let's pray. Lord, I am ashamed when I think of the things that preoccupy my heart that aren't even on the same scale as you. Lord, help me to settle for nothing less. Lord, help my preoccupation to not be the things of this world, but to be you. Lord, we want to live satisfied lives. Lord, but let us be satisfied with nothing less than you. For you are our heart's desire and you are the only thing worthy of our worship. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.